Hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. There was a story on the radio last week about a gas station in Osoyoos, BC, that accidentally sold a gasoline and diesel mixture to customers for a period of about four hours. It had been a mistake by the delivery driver, adding gasoline to the diesel tank and diesel to the gasoline tank. So a bunch of customers were affected, like their cars stopped running properly and so forth. And it was a pretty nasty situation if you consider the cleanup and the repairs involved. But the thing was that as soon as the gas station owner heard about the problem, he put the word out that it was human error and that he would take responsibility. He would pay for customer repairs out of pocket. And, of course, the public is praising him and um, wanting to support him for, for taking that on. I wonder if you've noticed this phenomenon. If someone makes a mistake and tries to hide it, that ticks people off. But if they come clean about it and make amends as best they can, then it's easy to forgive them. Moreover, I've found that most people, most people want to know if they've made a mistake and they want the opportunity to make amends or else, you know, you're just left feeling shitty. It's this, the concept of doing the right thing. If I'm in a restaurant or I get food delivered, if there's a problem with my food, then I let the server know. And for the most part, they will solve the problem. Or if there's a problem with the service, I'll speak to management and let them know the issues. I will always give a restaurant or you know, whatever kind of company, a second chance, if they did the right thing and solved the problem. The only time I'll say never again is if they don't apologize and they don't take steps to resolve the issue. And That reminds me of a thing I read that pointed out, why is it that a big restaurant chain can screw up a hundred times over and people will continue to go back? You know, McDonald's can put cheese on your burger when you ask them not to. Or, or, or put pickles on when you want them removed, you know. And, and people continue to go back to McDonald's. Or milestones can bring you the wrong soup. And you'll keep going back. But if your small, local, family-owned place makes a mistake, doesn't bring your salad or whatever, that's it, that's it, I'm never coming back, that place was crap. You know, that's goofy. Support your local small businesses. If there's something wrong with your food, you need to tell your server. When they ask you, how is everything? Don't say it's fine if it isn't fine. Especially if you're then going to go away and never come back because you weren't happy with something. Tell them so they have the chance to fix it. This harkens back to something I know I talked about in an earlier episode. Don't blame somebody else for a problem if you aren't going to tell them there is one. That's why I think it's important with kids. Let's talk parenting now, shall we? If our kids made a mistake, you know, spilled something or made a mess of some kind, we always enlisted their help to clean it up. It helped them to understand why they maybe shouldn't have done that thing and definitely put some control back in their hands so they learned from the situation rather than just feeling crappy about it, which then taught them to work the same way in their lives as they grew up. Blah, 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 blah. So this week, coincidentally, there is a good deal of discussion about certain mistakes Pierre may or may not have made and what to do about it. 
Gatekeeper's Deception by Krista Wallace Chapter 18 This Burning Betrayal Juskelin did not understand it, and could not block out his puzzlement, though he was supposed to be meditating. Kier had revealed herself when she told about the snake's symbolism. To his dismay, Frederick was right, and yet, why was she still working so hard to cover up, accusing Gilvray of lying instead of accepting his word? That would have been more characteristic of someone trying to prevent the success of the mission. Still, she'd slipped up last night, as Frederick had said she would. Maybe she was trying to cover her mistake by representing their side so vehemently. I think now is the time to discuss this with the captain. But, he decided, I don't think I'll tell him about the gating. Not yet. He would put off that humiliation as long as possible. The wind was picking up. It already bore an unpleasant resemblance to the cold fells. The fire provided warmth, but the meager promise of a meal from their rations gave little comfort to empty bellies. The mood of the group was weird. Kier could describe it no other way. Derry sat hunched as though he were simmering inside. Janik painted his battle-axe with his oil of unbreaking, while grumbling about every notion that popped into his head. Even after his meditation, Jeskelin was as nervous as a grasshopper. Fennel, the one who could usually be counted on for his good cheer, slumped like someone who'd been swindled out of his horse and all his belongings. Skimnoddle's odd muteness didn't help either. Kier herself was preoccupied trying to decipher the riddle. Breathtaking to behold, vision alone will win your day. I touch you only with my eyes. Red light will point your way. None of it made sense. What was so breathtaking that would win her day? Something about how the key worked, of course. It had to be. But there weren't any decent verbs in the poem to tell her what to do. She gave it up and unbuckled her baldric and laid it on her bed. I'm going to take Gilvray up on his offer of food, she said. Her own frustration and impatience were of no help to the mood. Hastily, she slung all the water skins across her shoulders and bolted before anyone could offer to help her. She hoped the group would be too inattentive to be offended that she needed to get away from them. The short walk back to the army camp increased her blood circulation, too, a handy side effect in this wind. The guard at the south entrance let her pass after she explained her errand, and she walked along the path looking for the well and the mess tent. The layout of the camp from the south entrance was a different configuration from what she'd seen when they'd entered from the north end earlier. The sun had sunk, too, and the minimal torchlight only exaggerated the labyrinthine effect of the greenish canvas in wood. A few soldiers milled about, unsurprised at the presence of a stranger, though Kier felt the touch of their passing gazes. Word of the major's visitors must have spread. Kier turned down the aisle where she thought she had seen the well earlier, but she was wrong. She turned a few more corners around tents, keeping to the more worn paths. All these damn tents look identical. By the time she realized she was lost, everyone seemed to have disappeared. Must be mealtime. Suddenly she heard low voices from around the next tent. She could have approached and asked the whereabouts of the well, but some instinct forbade her. Perhaps it was the hushed tones. Instead, she crept closer, her footfalls inaudible in the grass. 
Glancing through the dim twilight to ensure that she was not being watched, Kier put the water skins down and lowered herself to the ground. She peered around the corner and was surprised to see Major Gilvray sitting on a stool. His broad shoulders blocked Kier's view of the blue-capped officer to whom he spoke. The latter held a lantern in one hand, and the two were gazing intently at a small flat object in the Major's fingers. With their backs to the tent that shielded Kier and their complete focus on the object, she was undetected for the moment. As she listened to their words, her surprise turned to amazement, then to gratification. "'I never looked at it very closely before,' Gilvray was speaking. "'The colonel told me to keep it safe, but that was all. I never gave it much thought. Look at these intricate patterns. It's breathtaking.' "'Does this correspond to some of the runes on the door, then?' Blue Cap asked. Yes, I guess so. It must. You've seen the doors. It would be next to impossible to pick the right fragment without it. Lying bastard, Kier thought triumphantly. He has too seen the caves. Why'd the colonel leave it with you? I guess he thought it would be safer here than on him if he were waylaid. Gilvray's voice quivered with excitement, his well-defined cheekbone lifting as he smiled. I'd more or less forgotten about it, but then these people arrived and described this very thing. It must be the key thereafter. He didn't even know what he had till I told him. The younger man shrugged. Why not give it to the emissaries, then? The major paused and gave a sigh. I didn't trust them, he said pensively, as if he were just thinking about it for the first time. Not many people know about the caves. Suddenly, along come half a dozen people saying they are from Duke Barthelon, speaking of the caves as if they are common knowledge and asking for a certain key, which almost nobody knows about. I didn't even know about it. They say they got the information from Kami. Even if that's true, since when did an association with Kami ever make anyone trustworthy with his reputation? Besides, what if it wasn't true? Perhaps they heard the story from another source, some evil source. Who's to say these people aren't working for Dregor and are after the magic that is reputedly contained in the caves? Gilvray is not a bad man, Kier told herself. He's just sadly misguided. Why not go with them? Gilvray gave a grunt that sounded like consideration. I could have, but think about it. We arrive at the caves, and then what? Let's say they somehow managed to get in. Do I allow them to roam freely around inside a place I've never been to? That to my knowledge nobody's ever been to, not even the colonel? All for some sort of dust. No, I can't imagine any good coming of it. Not worth the risk, I guess. No, this is my last chance thanks to my less than stellar performance in the Black Mountains last winter. But those raiders had some sort of magic on them, Blue Cap said. That's the only reason they escaped. I know it, and truly Colonel Greenberg did too, which is why I'm getting a second chance at all. But it was still my mission and my responsibility. I've got this command for three more weeks. If I botch it up in any way, Colonel Greenberg will send me north of the Sea of Kun, and I won't get home for another six months. I had to choose between risking the wrath of the colonel and risking that some southern duke's pregnant wife may or may not be sick. Which do you think is closer to my heart? From her concealed position, Kier fumed. The two men were silent for a moment, studying the stone disc. "'Do you touch this to the section on the door, then?' Blue Cap asked. "'Well, that makes sense, like fitting a regular key into a lock.' Gilvray stared at the rune pattern thoughtfully for another moment, then he tucked it in the flat pouch that was attached to his belt. Blue Cap lowered his voice. 
You should try it before the colonel gets back. Kier had heard and seen enough. She was already in danger of discovery by wandering sentries. Shifting slowly backward, she picked up the water skins again and hastened away. She couldn't wait to tell Derry she was right about Gilvray. She'd happened upon the exact location of the key. Now they had only to get hold of it. The final vestiges of sunlight had completely faded now. She trotted along the torchless path, peeking down alleys in search of the well and the kitchen. A shriek nearly escaped her as she collided with a large form in dark blue. Her heart pounding, she was still trembling with the excitement at what she had just learned. The soldier grabbed her arm with one big hand and drew a dagger with the other. "'Who are you and what are you doing here?' he growled. "'I'm a guest of Major Gilvray,' she said confidently. "'Oh, and why then are you skulking around in the dark like a frightened rabbit?' I was looking for the well. She grinned sheepishly and indicated the several water skins over her shoulders. I got lost, and I confess I was a little nervous in the dark. She shuddered at the self-deprecating lie, but she could hardly tell him the real reason she was in a hurry. He looked her over and, with the dagger, drew aside her cloak to see the way she was dressed. She wore no sword, but he saw her leather armor and dagger. He grimaced, clearly concluding that she was no threat. Oh, you're the female that came along with Duke Barthelon's men. His round face scrunched into a leer. Kier seethed but took a deep breath to restrain herself from any form of self-defense. This was not the time or place to prove her worth as a warrior. Yes, that would be me. The muscles in her back twitched and she instructed her hand not to go for her weapon. The oaf just chuckled and put his arm around her, guiding her toward the well, which she now saw was only a few paces away. She pasted on a girlish smile and thanked him. Major Gilvray has offered us some food as well, she added. Do you think you could help me out with that? Sure, girly, I'll get you some supper for your men. He patted her cheek and she bristled, but maintained her smile. He lumbered off toward the mess tent. She made a face at his back as she hauled the bucket up from the depths of the well. By the time she had filled all the skins, the big fellow was back, and this time he had brought a blonde-haired friend. They each carried a sack of foodstuffs. "'Here you go, little lady. Can you carry all that?' Round Face said patronizingly. Blondie was no better. "'Better hurry back now. All your men will be wondering where their supper is.' "'How do you manage to keep them all warm at once, honey? You must have one big tent.' Kier didn't bother thanking them for all their help and wasn't surprised when they didn't appear to notice that she wasn't feeble, having hoisted the sacks easily. She stomped away as swiftly as her dignity would allow and let the continued stream of suggestive comments and laughter that followed her drift off into the night. Now, how to get that stone from Major Gilvray? She hurried to the camp, anxious to tell the others what she had learned. Jeskellen's voice broke Derry out of his troubled thoughts. Derry, a moment. I think I can spare several moments if you like. Derry's uncharacteristic wryness was born of his frustration and helplessness. Jeskellen gathered his robes about himself and crouched down on his haunches next to Derry. We began a conversation a while back about Kier, how I don't know what to make of her, the magic I sense on her. Derry thanked the dusk for concealing the roll of his eyes at Kier's name. It was unbecoming of a captain, but this captain was at the end of his rope where that woman was concerned, and the rope was beginning to fray. 
I am sure most knights in training don't have to deal with anyone like Kier, he thought. What else, he said, more breaches of conduct to add to her list of irresponsible actions? Well, to tell you the truth, I am relieved that you are in this frame of mind, the mage tucked his legs under himself on Derry's bedroll. What I have to tell you will be hard to accept, but I believe you will be more open to it now than you would have before. <sighs> Derry sighed, preparing for the worst. Yes? Jiskellen plunged ahead. I know why Kier met with Frederick. In a low voice, so the others would not hear, Jiskellen talked about Frederick's integrity and love for Kian, about the blue snake necklace that was really a malison, about Kier's dedication to the mission for the purpose of seeing her own carried out. Derry listened wordlessly, his head teeming with contradictory thoughts. Blood swirled through his body like a series of whirlpools, conflicting emotions battering against the walls of his insides. Kier, the one who cursed Alon Mare? No, Jaskelin, I just can't believe that of her. She's made some questionable choices, without a doubt, but that? He shook his head and pressed it into his palm. Think on it, Derry. She went willingly to speak to Frederick, and you know as well as I do that she has not been truthful about what happened there. We were all ill, yet she was not. Have you noticed that? And while we were ill, she left us for some period of time. I noticed that, even if you did not. I wasn't aware of that, but I did hear her talking to someone. Jaskellen stopped. Oh? She denied it, of course. Just as she still has not told us where she was the morning we left Seaview. She was with that boy, which is bad enough. Jaskellen's voice went quieter. You do not know that she was with him the whole time. She might have met with anyone in that time. Derry suppressed a groan. And then she said that thing about the snake, right? That's what set you off. The black man nodded his bald head. I think she slipped and regretted saying it. I don't know what to do about this, whether it is too soon to confront her, but I thought you should know. I told Frederick to continue to track us, and we would speak with him later once I had informed you. In the meantime, if there are two of us watching her, it will be harder for her to— Why would she work so hard to find the ingredients? Derry asked reasonably. Why help at all if she could just as easily ignore it and let Alon die? How do you know that isn't what she's doing? Jaskellen leaned toward the captain as if he'd thought the same thing. She could be leading us on a merry tour of the guarded realm— or collecting ingredients for something altogether different. Derry rose, took a few paces, then joined the mage again. You're right that I am not prepared to confront her about this, he said. Not yet. Her other actions have been troubling me much more of late, and I need to deal with that first. I hear what you have said to me, and I am not discounting it, but it is too soon. I... <sighs> he exhaled and compressed his lips. I will keep it in mind as I continue to observe. Jaskellen paused, but having confirmed his dismissal, he rose and left the captain to his thoughts. Stormy thoughts. I don't want to believe it. I don't believe it. If she hadn't been so peculiar in these past few weeks, it would be easy for him to argue in her favor. But with so many odd occurrences... 
Why had she not become ill? And on top of her speaking with someone while they suffered on their sick beds, Jeskelin said she'd left them alone. Why would she have done that? Yet, if he asked her, she would snap his head off. Why did she insist on behaving like such a stubborn, spoiled child, heedless of the effect she had on others? Self-centered. Was that it? If we have suspicions, she has brought them on herself. She'd been gone much longer than necessary to just get water and a few bits of food. Major Gilvray's face came into his view, his profile as he looked that way at Kier. Derry's jaw ached from clenching it. <laughs> well, I hope you all appreciate what I had to go through to get this stuff. Kier laughed wryly as Fennel, Janik, and Skimnoddle fell on the sacks of food. Derry and Jeskelin ambled over to help sort out and divide the bread, cold meat, cheese, fruit, and vegetables. There were also two bottles of wine. Kier told them of the kindness she had received from the two soldiers. "'I've been wondering, Kier,' Skimnoddle said in mock seriousness as he munched on a carrot. "'When are you going to come and keep me warm?' She threw a hunk of cauliflower at him. "'Yeah,' Janik laughed. "'Come and sleep with us tonight, Kier.' "'I'll share your bed the day Fennel bathes of his own volition,' she said with narrow eyes and a crooked smile. <laughs> "'I bet Todd bathes,' Skimnoddle said, nudging Janik. "'Ha!' she said. "'But really, the good news... "'What, does Gilvray bathe?' "'Startled, Kier looked up into the eyes of the one who had spoken. "'Derry's eyes were just as startled as if something had involuntarily slipped out.' Funny how the truth came out when one let one's guard down. She turned away hastily. I wouldn't know. It was a sorry excuse for a comeback, but she'd been taken by surprise. Janik hooted. <laughs> that got her! Have you ever known Kier to be speechless? He whacked Derry on the shoulder and was joined in laughter only by the elf and the halfling. Hats off to you, Captain! Derry glowered. Too much living in each other's pockets, she thought, knowing each other's business, or thinking we do. The others had seemingly forgotten that she had mentioned good news, and though a vague awareness told her it was juvenile of her, she no longer felt like sharing it. The army's woodpile was easily accessible, and with permission, Derry and Janik availed themselves of a small portion of it. Real wood burned warmer than Jeskelin's conjured fire. Skimnoddle pulled out one of his dice and practiced making it disappear and reappear in odd places. It seemed to help him think. "'We need a plan,' Jeskelin said when they were all wrapped in cloaks and seated as close to the fire as they dared. "'If there is no rune pattern, we need another way to get the dust. But if indeed the Major was lying, we must learn where he keeps the key. Obviously, the next step is to determine a way to get it from him. Could we send in a spy?' Kier continued to be peevishly silent. She'd already done the spy work. She already had the answer to the first problem. Derry continued to be peevishly ill-humored. The entire army is likely aware of our presence by now. Something clicked in Kier's head. Aware of our presence, she thought, and the answer to the second problem began to formulate. Skimnoddle had great success the other night. He's small enough to hide in the shadows, Fennel suggested. What, he's going to juggle the rune pattern out of him? Janik said. They've already seen me, thought Kier. 
Skimnoddle leapt to his feet and mimed his actions. We could surround his tent. One of us could enter and put a sword to his throat. It might not even come as much of a surprise, she mused. Do you honestly think all six of us would get past the guards? Derry wasn't putting up with ridiculous ideas. She drifted off as the plan materialized. Their words went unheard by her. Her limbs tingled with energy as her excitement grew. She almost wished she could tell them, but it was impossible. If she told them what she had overheard, she would have to also reveal her idea, and there was no way they would agree to it. It was a good plan, one that did not involve spies or hostages. She was certain it would work. She drifted back. "'Taking a hostage is preposterous,' Jeskelin said disdainfully. "'They would follow us and likely sacrifice the hostage to prevent us from reaching the caves. They are soldiers, after all.' "'Illusions,' Skimnoddle said, puffing the dye into the smoke of the fire, "'are everywhere. The truth can be hidden right before your eyes.' He leaned over and drew the dye out of Jeskelin's sandwich. "'That's helpful.' Fennel said scornfully, staring at the halfling. "'All I meant is that he's sure to have them hidden in his quarters. I could go in and just steal the runes if only we knew where they were,' Skimnoddle explained. Derry poked Kier's boot with a stick. "'Any ideas? You've been awfully quiet.' She smiled. "'Maybe I'll go steal the runes.' "'Come on, be serious. You're as bad as Skimnoddle.' For a fraction of a moment she thought of telling him, but she recalled the way he'd spoken to her earlier and over the past couple of days. Kier stretched. You know, I haven't the foggiest idea. I'm bored. She stood up. Listen, you guys don't need me for this. I'll see you later. What I need right now are some alternate circumstances. She wrapped her cloak about herself. Who knows? Maybe with some new inspiration I'll get a clearer set of instructions from Kami. She strode off toward the encampment. Guilt nibbled at her for deserting them, but they would forgive her in the morning. Besides, especially given Skimnoddle's suggestion, and her own, if any of them had half a brain, they'd figure it out. Kier held her cloak tighter around herself. She'd never get used to these chilly northern winds. And it's summer. As she trudged, she looked up and watched the clouds scudding across the sky, blotting out the stars, and in turn revealing them again. The moon waged war with the clouds, so she couldn't rely on it for light. Accustomed by now to the darkness, she could easily make out any large grass patches or pits to avoid. The muddy ground had hardened. Still, her footsteps made hardly a sound as she nodded to the sentry at the gate and proceeded into the rows of tents. A mouse scurried across her path on its way home with dinner. She fingered the links of the chain around her neck. Lifting the chain over her head, she tucked the medallion deep into her pocket and thought about what she would say to him. He might be alarmed at her return, yet he couldn't know she had overheard his conversation, so there was no need for him to suspect her true purpose. She had not forgotten the way Ryerson Gilvray had looked at her. His desire had been unmistakable. How long had it been since he'd had the company of a woman? That desire, that hunger, would be very useful to her tonight. They would each get something they wanted this evening. It would be a fair exchange. Gilvray was good-looking enough. Yes, he would do. Kier couldn't suppress an anticipatory smile. The runes were a convenient excuse, really. Who said she wasn't allowed to enjoy her work? 
Kier had more or less figured out the layout of the camp, and she found the major's hut easily. A guard stood outside. With bent knees, he pressed his back up against the wall. Stretching a sore back, Kier guessed. His hands hung at his sides. With closed eyes, his head was tipped to one side, so Kier thought he might be asleep, but with a short breath, he then tipped it to the other side. Neck-stretching as well. So absorbed was he that he did not hear Kier's footfalls until she was right in front of him. His eyes opened, and he quickly pulled himself to attention with a startled blush. "'Halt!' he commanded, flustered. "'I already have,' Kier pointed out with quiet amusement. "'Tell your major he has a guest, but don't say who it is. "'You may thank me later for giving you and your sore back the evening off.'" Derry stared after her, dumbfounded, stunned into silence along with the others. Being an hour and a half late was one thing, but walking out in the middle of a discussion was unheard of. Derry was angry and did not bother to conceal it. He stood up. "'Hellfire take her!' his voice rose with indignation. "'I ought to go after her and bring her back. Tie her down if necessary.' "'Oh, never mind, Derry. Maybe a breath of fresh air would help us all come up with ideas,' Janik said, his voice hoarse. "'She's not going for fresh air. You heard her. You should all be able to guess where she's going.' "'Perhaps she has a guilty conscience, so she's going to apologize to Gilvray,' Skimnoddle suggested. "'Apologize? Is that what they're calling it nowadays?' Janik snorted. "'She certainly ought to have a guilty conscience, but it has nothing to do with Gilvray,' Derry said, his voice rising. His whole body was a storm about to break. Jaskelin pointedly kept his mouth shut. Fennel was typically forgiving. "'Look, Derry, it was a disappointing day.' Yes, it was, Derry agreed. But it was the same for all of us. Why is Kier the only one allowed to feel it? Maybe she isn't the only one, Janik snapped, his eyes gleaming the reflection of the flames. Why do you all insist on sticking up for her at the expense of the mission? Why do you insist on thinking ill of her all the time, Skimnoddle said. Derry whirled to face the halfling who had never spoken with such defiance. His anger flared with heat, though his tone cooled. "'Because she keeps adding evidence to my suspicions.' "'What suspicions?' Janik asked. "'That she's a woman and likes her pleasure? "'Well, I'm a dwarf and I like mine too. "'I hooked up with a partner in Seaview, didn't you?' The captain fervently hoped the firelight disguised his blush. He straightened and dropped his chin, shaking with the effort to control his temper. "'We took the night off. You weren't late for a meeting, nor did you just walk out of what might be the most important discussion of this mission for the sole purpose of seeking pleasure.' "'Maybe she truly felt that a break would give her some ideas,' Fennel pleaded. "'Maybe she's going to encourage him,' Janik chuckled. "'Mayhap she is going to steal the runes,' Skimnoddle said quietly. Derry scoffed with impatience at such ridiculous notions. He looked round at their expectant faces and couldn't keep it to himself any longer. Fed up with hearing them defend her, Derry blurted, "'I am questioning her dedication to this mission, and therefore her loyalty to Dunvarin and Kean.' "'There, they might as well know.' They stared at him. "'Are you mad?' Fennel said. "'No, I am not.' Her behavior has been puzzling at best since quite some time ago. She has been untruthful. She's avoided discussion. We have not received direct answers to questions about her whereabouts. For instance, how she got you out of the cold fells, Fennel. She saved my life, Derry. 
Yes, so she says, but she won't tell us how. And as to why she followed after Frederick, well, Jeskellen has some new information about that. Look, how convenient is it that only she knows exactly what we're looking for? We don't even know that the stuff we're running all across the guarded realm for isn't just the ingredients for some new kind of skin cream. And now she has deserted us a total of three, no, four times, looking for a sword, following Frederick, in Seaview, and now this. As captain representing my lord, I can no longer let it go. I really think you're wrong, Derry, Janik said. What are you going to do? Fennel asked. I will be speaking to her when she returns. Derry sighed, his arms falling to his sides now that he'd decided a course of action. I think it would be better if it came from me. I'm sure she would rather hear it from a friend than for me to tell Dunvarin and have him give her a formal rebuke. Janik grunted. Well, you can just leave me out of it. I'm going to bed. Fennel rose. Be careful where you tread with this, Derry. You had better be absolutely certain, or you'll regret it. If looks could kill, Derry would have done some damage to the elf's back as he walked away. The damned elf was deluded because Kier saved his life. He's getting just as mouthy as she is. When Skimnoddle had retired, Derry slumped down next to Jeskellen. Do you think I'm overreacting? Jeskellen shrugged. We have information the others don't have. I think you were right at this point not to draw attention to what I told you earlier. Let us just see how Kier responds to your comments. You must at least pose these questions to her. You are Dunvarin's voice out here in the wilderness. She needs to be brought back into line. Derry nodded. Jeskellen placed a hand on his arm before retiring to his own bed and leaving the captain to plan his conversation. The captain took a walk around their camp. Once alone, Derry could finally hear himself think. That blackness ached in his stomach again. It must be his conscience manifesting itself in a strange way. His own loyalty to his lord was insulted by Kier's disrespect. She had agreed to this mission and was openly flouting the responsibility that came with it. It was just this sort of errant behavior that had already cost him his knighthood. He was damned if he'd let it happen again. If she'd gone to see one of the soldiers who had teased her earlier, he'd likely feel equal frustration, but not this burning betrayal blackening his spirit. He recollected the few extra moments it had taken her to emerge from Major Gilvray's hut, and knew it wasn't so. Derry swung his arms back and forth as if he were warming up for a sparring session. She had never had the tendency to go with underlings. Having completed one revolution of the camp, he turned and went back in the other direction. Derry pressed his fingers against his forehead. How could she? Sleeping with the man who was essentially the enemy. He was right to point out her indiscretions and give her a dressing down. He regretted having to enforce the chain of command, but it had to be done. This was not the time to introduce the notion of her cursing Alon without further proof, in spite of Jeskellen's certainty. He was glad Jeskellen was of the same mind. He rubbed his face with his hands. He had to, at the very least, call attention to the fact that her letting the company down was becoming a habit. He stopped and planted his feet. The group has come to look up to you for your energy, enthusiasm. No, that was not a good idea. Better to stick to the facts. She would feel pain for a while until she came to realize that he was right. Then she would be grateful. There was no doubt in his mind. 
Next week is the last chapter of part one of Gatekeeper's Deception. Don't worry, there will not be a gap in the podcast, unless I have some more technical difficulties, knock on wood. It just means we are halfway through, because this is a really long book. I did not realize when I was writing it that it would be so long. So I'm publishing it in two parts. I will be launching the audiobook shortly after the last episode of Part 1 airs on this here podcast. So for those of you who like audiobooks, keep your eyes and ears open. Another thing to keep in mind regarding making mistakes, something it has taken me years to learn is that in the long run, most of them don't really matter. It's important to take responsibility for your errors and address them wherever possible. But keep in mind that, as Stephen King pointed out, somebody said the Titanic was unsinkable. Perspective. Thank you, thank you to my family, Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie, who continually forgive my many mistakes. Thanks, David and Sharon. Salute to the original six. I wonder how many of you are listening. Thank you with all my heart to you, dear listeners. Now, go be fantastic. Fantastic.